The snow is falling, the nights come early, and you're listening to Burning Rock Radio. Burning Rock Radio is the ongoing story of Ivy Romeo's search for her friend Sam. If you're new to the podcast, we suggest that you listen from the beginning. Chapter 18 Your Consciousness and Me May 2002 Things in my brain only got worse after seeing that weird goo outside of the arcade. I kept my head down while I did my show that night. I didn't look out the window. My reasoning was that if I didn't look out the window, I couldn't see the weird shadow figure that sometimes liked to hang out in the reflection. If I didn't see the shadow figure, then I guess I wouldn't be so scared. I'm not sure if the logic totally tracked, but it did make me feel better. I had seen the figure a few more times recently, and I hated the thought of it. Hated that I was seeing the same thing that June saw all those years ago. I spent a decent amount of time worrying that they could find a way to send me away like they sent her away. After the show, I took a deep breath and hurried out of the building. I was more than a little surprised to find Sam standing outside, huddled under the eaves to avoid the rain, holding two cups of coffee. He handed one of them to me wordlessly. What in the world are you doing here? I asked. Thought you might want a coffee. At four in the morning, he said half-heartedly. I mean, I do, you're not wrong, but I don't really think that's why you're here. He nodded. Something is off. With what? I took a drink of the coffee. It was drip with a splash of cream. Heavy on the brown sugar. Definitely made in my apartment and not his, because Crown and Sam didn't have brown sugar right now. We used it on the oatmeal two days ago. Sam kicked at the sidewalk. There's something going on with Reed, he said. I can't shake it. I nodded. To be honest, the same idea had taken a hold on me, too. So what do you want to do about it? I asked. I think I'm going to talk to him. Tomorrow, of course. I nodded. I'll come with you. I felt like Sam could use his support, and maybe a second set of eyes, too. I got home, said goodnight to Sam, and grabbed a second slice of cake. I went to my room to try to forget about everything, but it didn't work. As hard as I tried, I couldn't get to sleep. It's funny. When you're a kid, everything seems so permanent. You think you're going to be living at home in the shadow of your funny older sister for the rest of your life. You think you're going to eat bacon and cinnamon rolls every Saturday morning forever. You think you're always going to love the movie Ice Princess. Then one morning, you find that you're an adult. You realize that bad things can happen. You realize that people can disappear from their homes without a trace, even in the little slices of America that are supposed to be safe. Nothing is promised, nothing is for sure, and nothing goes on forever. After another ten minutes of lying there, it became obvious that I wasn't going to fall asleep at all. I peeled back the covers, put on some clothes, and grabbed my journal off of my desk and headed back into the apartment. 
Normally, I would have gone down to the beach and walked around until I got tired, but I knew I shouldn't go outside alone. I knew that any one of my new friends would tell me not to be outside after dark with everything that had happened. So instead, I went to the kitchen window, raised it up a few feet, and crawled out onto one of the sturdy branches just below the sill. The moon hung low and full and appeared to have tucked itself just behind the city's lone streetlight in some kind of attempt to imitate an eclipse or something. I took my notebook off the windowsill, closed the window most of the way so I wouldn't let the cold air in, and started writing. I rarely know what I'm going to write before I put pen to paper, but tonight I was even less certain than normal. A thousand different images and feelings mingled in my mind. Usually one of them floats up to the surface out of the murky darkness like the reader card in a magic eight ball. Tonight, though... Nothing quite crested those waves. I felt so restless. Right here, in this moment, I wanted out of Burning Rock so badly. Coming here had felt right at the time, but I wasn't so sure anymore. I looked out at the water. I looked at the moon and the stars, still and calm and callous, uncaring, looking down on us the same as they did every night, with no care for whether some of us were dead, even if we had been alive the last time they saw us. I looked down at my paper and finally scratched a few words into my notebook. Here, when I look up at the stars, they're all the same, all unblinking, all as good as dead. I wrote for a bit longer, though nothing really came of it. When I finally did go back inside and got to sleep, it wasn't restful. Dreams came at me like the little dudes in whack-a-mole. It felt like flipping through a catalog of real classics. My teeth are falling out. I'm flying and falling. I'm jumping down a flight of stairs. I'm going to a coffee shop my subconscious invented. My sister is dying, and I can't do anything to help. Finally, though, my dreams materialize around a singular image of an ice cream shop. This is better. I can deal with this place. Nothing bad has ever happened here. I start down the street, stars wildly bright overhead. I see Charlie sitting on her bench, but... For some reason, I walk past her tonight. I'm headed for the ice cream shop. I walk past the blinking neon ice cream sign and push the door open. The pleasant bell above the door twinkles and I walk up to the counter. Dream logic tells me that there is someone else here and I expect it to be Sam who appears from the back room. It isn't, though. It's Crown, of all people. Crown is holding something. It only takes me a second to realize it's an EMF meter. I remember seeing him use that thing at Sandollar House. He looks up at me and blinks like he's surprised to see me. Hi, he says. Hey. He tilts his head and then he puts his EMF meter down on the counter. What are you doing here? I kind of invented this place. I say. Oh, 
Okay, so so are you dreaming? I always have a hard time being sarcastic in dreams. It's a real shame, because I really want to be. Instead, I just say, Yep. He nods, picks up his EMF meter again, and disappears into the back. The dream ends as suddenly as it began. The next day, Sam and I met in the apartment parking lot. We drove to Reed's house. There was no discussion of walking, even though it was a nice night with beautiful stars and only a hint of a chill on the wind. There was a time when we would have walked, but not tonight. Not with Brad missing and the strange whispers on the wind. It struck me as funny that I came to this place so that I didn't have to be afraid, and now I was more afraid than ever. I think it wound up taking longer to drive than walk, all things considered. When you walk to Reed's house from town, you can just cut a line straight up the hill. Driving is a totally different matter. The roads just off of Amherst Street turned into twisted caverns walled by evergreens. They wound and snaked up the hill, creating a convoluted series of switchbacks. It wasn't nearly so efficient. As we drove, I rolled down my window and did my best to enjoy the sweet salt air and the occasional glimpses of fire on the water through the oppressive evergreen boughs. Sam stayed silent this time. His fingers occasionally tapped against the steering wheel like he was drumming out some song that only he could hear, and his hoodie rippled in the occasional strong gust of ocean wind. He took his sunglasses off once we entered the dark tower of trees, but his expression didn't become any more readable. This is how I discovered that Sam Grayson had a brooding side to go along with his silly side. Probably most of us do, but... Somehow in Sam, I found it unsettling. But even so, I liked hanging out with Sam. Even here, in the midst of all of this stuff, Sam made life feel fun in a way that didn't totally make sense. If I was alone, I would have been too scared to make a move. Stuck in the same way I've always felt stuck. But Sam kept me moving. Sam pushed me to keep searching and keep trying, and I was grateful for that. When we reached Reed's house, I hesitated at the door. It's funny how your mind works sometimes. I didn't feel safe here, but it had nothing to do with Reed, even if maybe it should have. It was those paintings. I hated those paintings. I hated the way they followed me when I walked down the hall, and I hated the way that they followed me in my memories. I was thankful that Sam didn't notice my hesitation. Instead, he simply rung the bell, stuck his hands in his pockets, and waited for his grandfather to come to the door. When Reed appeared, he was quite a sight. He was wearing some kind of deep purple velvet smoking jacket or something. He looked like he belonged in an ad for a mid-tier casino. Reed smiled, but the smile wasn't quite a friendly one. Wonderful, he said. First, I get to see Lana, and now you bring your lovely friend for a visit. 
I assumed that I was the lovely friend in this equation, and I had to admit that that wasn't my favorite. Huh. Lana was up here, huh? Sam asked passively. Came up on Friday, Reed said. Come in, both of you. I've got that homework you wanted. Sam had skipped a class today so that he would have an excuse to come up and get his homework. It was either genius or flat-out lazy. I wasn't sure which. As we stepped into the entryway, I waited until the other two started for the kitchen and quietly set my phone down on the little entry table with Reed's keys and wallet and analog watch. I'd been thinking about how to get a look at Brad's paper, and I finally came up with a plan that I hoped would be simple and yet effective. As we followed Reed to the kitchen, I glanced at Sam. He was surveying the house, probably looking for signs of anything being out of order. We reached the kitchen and Reed walked over to his desk. The guy had a desk in his kitchen, which I found exceedingly weird. He picked a couple of papers off of the pile and carried them back over. Reed handed Sam his homework. Sam glanced at it and immediately folded it up and stuffed it in his back pocket. So, Sam said, what do you think of the whole Brad thing? The direct approach. I liked it. Reed turned and looked at him briefly, and Sam held his ground. He didn't look away and he didn't blink. He just stood there, waiting for a response from Reed. After a moment, Reed looked away and nodded intently. Very strange, he frowned. Though... I have to say, not completely unexpected. That was kind of a weird thing to say. Why not? I asked. Because of what he said at the party, Reed replied. Sam and I glanced at each other. What did he say? He asked for an extension in my early American literature class, Reed said. He was struggling with making ends meet when it came to class time. Of course, I reminded him that none of my classes allow for extensions. Typically, they do not allow for missed homework assignments either, but I suppose we can view this as a favor to my grandchildren. I had to fight not to roll my eyes on that one. So you told him you couldn't help him, I said in an effort to sum up Reed's ramblings. Yes. Reed said. He tried to sway me, of course, by telling me that he was considering dropping out. If I'm being completely honest with you, I believed it was a bluff. Though it would now appear that it wasn't. I considered this. I guess it made some kind of sense. Had Brad really just left town on his own accord? Given up on school and gone back to whatever city he came from originally? It didn't explain why his house looked like a crime scene, but it fit the rest of the situation fairly well. Sam seemed reasonably content with that answer. He looked at me, and since I couldn't really think of anything to add, I nodded faintly. I still wanted to see that piece of paper that Brad had given Reed, though. Either it was so irrelevant that Reed hadn't thought to include it in the account, or it was meaningful and... Reed didn't want us to see it for some reason. 
I wanted to either consider it or rule it out as a piece of evidence. So I put my plan into action. I made a show of patting my pockets like I was looking for my phone. After a moment, I looked up at Sam helplessly. Man, I think I left my phone somewhere, I said. Uh, The car, Sam suggested. I was pretty sure he had already caught on to my plan. No, I, I literally just had it, I said. I must have just... Man, I'm so spacey sometimes. Reed chuckled and didn't seem to have any trouble believing this, which I found irritating at best. Would you mind calling it? I asked. Sam pulled out his own phone, and I stood near the hallway and made a show of listening. Oh, I remember now. I snapped my fingers. I left it back at the door. Reed started to follow me, but Sam really must have caught on to my intentions because he quickly pulled Reed back into conversation. So would you say that Brad talked about being overloaded with schoolwork often? He asked. I was having trouble gauging how smart Reed was, to be honest. There was no doubt that he was an accomplished writer and teacher, but that wasn't the kind of intelligence I was worried about. Instead, I wondered if he knew the real reason we were here. Was he picking up on our secret glances and weird behavior? Or was he so off in his own head that he didn't even notice? For our sake, I hoped it was the latter. I headed straight for the entry table. As soon as I got there, I shoved my phone in my pocket and caught sight of my own reflection in the mirror. I looked away immediately. I was becoming superstitious when it came to mirrors, afraid to look into them for fear of seeing something besides myself in the background. I opened the little drawer in the table. At first I was sure it was a dead end. All I saw in there were a ton of old envelopes and pens without caps. Even so, I started going through the drawer, immediately feeling like a criminal. How did I get to this point in my life? And was I really doing it for the good of others, or was I doing it to fulfill some sort of sick need in my own head? In this case, I hoped it was the former. I made it all the way to the bottom of the drawer before I found the scrap of paper. I pulled it out and turned the folded paper in my hands before opening it. This felt like the break we had been looking for, and I held my breath, hoping I wouldn't be disappointed. I expected there to be something written on the paper, I think, but there wasn't. It was a sketch. A very rough sketch, actually. In some ways, it reminded me of a cave drawing, maybe, but the style wasn't the interesting part. The interesting part was that I recognized the subject. Long, sinewy front legs terminated in razor-sharp claws and tentacles took shape where you might have expected a tail. It was the monster from my dreams. October 2007. I was having a hard time pretending to be excited about my birthday party. So, I turned to Crown. I heard they're letting you use that ocean view room in the library for your office. I engaged Crown's pride in his work primarily because I cared, but 
also because I wanted to distract myself from the sadness of this moment. It definitely wasn't supposed to be sad, and I knew that Lana was doing everything in her power to make it fun. I had seen the precise moment when she realized this cake might be bringing back unwanted memories, and I spoke up quickly to tell her how delicious it was. Crown nodded. I'm just glad these people finally realized that a real newspaper office is worth the public space it takes up, he said, stabbing a forkful of cake and pressing it into a glob of frosting. Maybe, four years later, I can finally shed the image of college newspaper editor. Hey, you single-handedly brought back newsprint, Lana said. I think they take you plenty seriously. I smile grimly. Sometimes I look at Crown and wonder what happened. He should have been gone so long ago. He never should have stayed here in Burning Rock after school. He should be in New York by now. We all thought it. Even though Lana was making a joke, there was truth to what she said. Crown really had revived print journalism in this town, and if he could do that here, what could he do out in the big wide world? We all ate silently for a few more moments. Hey, maybe they'll even give you an employee, I suggested. You know, Crown said, the last conversation I had with the investor actually made me hopeful for that. But enough about me, let's not talk about work tonight. I raised a glass. To all the things we don't talk about, I said with a small smile. No one had any trouble toasting to that. Thank you for listening to Burning Rock Radio. Visit us at www.burningrockradio.com and follow us on Instagram at Burning Rock Radio. As always, we appreciate your ratings and reviews. And Sam, if you're out there, we all miss you and hope to see you soon. <laughs>